Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. How are we doing? Doing good? Oh, we can give you another opportunity for that. That wasn't so good. <laughs> How are we doing this morning? Come on, come on. Yes, that's good. Good, good, good. We are in a series called Better, and uh, this whole series is about how life is just better with Jesus, and that when you have Jesus, he actually makes you better at life. Jesus said this in John 10, 10. He said that I have come that you would have life and life to the full. Jesus said, I came so that you could have a better life, and we all want a better life, don't we? Don't we? So if you missed any of the previous weeks, make sure you go to metchurch.com and, and, and you watch because Bill's been doing such an amazing, amazing job of just showing us what God has done so that we could have a better life because God has done great things. And so today I want to talk to you about something that's so important if we're going to have a better life. Today I'm going to talk to you about faith. That's right. I'm going to talk to you about faith. Now, I know what a lot of you are thinking. You're thinking, wait a minute, Rob, I already have faith. That's why I'm in church, because I have faith. So I'm watching online, because I have faith. And if that's you and that's true, that's great. I'm glad you're here. And uh, maybe this message is more about how you can help somebody else with their faith or how you can um, help somebody find faith. But the reason why I wanted to talk about faith is because I think so many people have conditional faith. I think so many people base their faith on their circumstances. That when life is good, when God is doing what they want, when they want, and how they want, they've got great faith. That's why they show up to church. That's why they sing the songs. That's why they serve. That's why they give. They can do all of that. But the minute they hit a little speed bump, minute all of a sudden some difficulty starts creeping in, now all of a sudden that faith is not what it was. Now they're not so sure. Now they're, they're, not, they're not so sure they can trust God, they can believe in God. You see, I think a lot of people are like the father in Mark 9. When you read Mark 9, you see the story of the father who takes his son to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, can you heal my son? And Jesus looks at him, and he says, can I? He says, all things are possible for those who believe. See, what, what Jesus was saying, I have the power to heal your son. The question is, do you believe that I can do it? You see, I think so many people, they, they want to have faith. They want to believe, but then they face these difficult circumstances. Now, all of a sudden, they're not so sure. So I want to talk about the kind of faith that gets you through those circumstances. I want to talk about having better faith. So no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, you can trust God through all things. So if you're here today or you're watching online, you're struggling with faith, we're glad that you're here. And I also want to let you know, guess what? You're in good company because the disciples had trouble with their faith. You see, they had enough faith to, to leave everything and follow Jesus. They had enough faith to know that Jesus could help people with their problems. But when it came to their problems, they weren't so sure. Remember, they're on the Sea of Galilee, and this huge storm comes in. And what happens? Now, all of a sudden, they're panicking. Now, they're all of a sudden, they're, they're saying to Jesus, you don't care about us. Now, they're saying, Jesus, you're going to let us die. And what does Jesus do? He calms the storm. And he looks at him. He says, where's your faith? Come on, guys, where's your faith? Where's that faith that made you leave your family and home to follow me? Where's that faith that knew that I could perform all these incredible miracles? Where's that faith? I'll tell you where that faith was. It was tied to their circumstances. And so many of us 
have our faith tied to our circumstances. And when I look at what's facing this world today, I look at what's going on in this world today, there's a lot of people questioning. There's a lot of people doubting. There's a lot of people wondering. With this whole COVID pandemic, there's a lot of people that, that have that faced serious things because of what's going on. People have lost their jobs because of this. People have lost touch with, with loved ones because of this. People have lost loved ones. We've had people in our church lose loved ones because of COVID. And it breaks my heart for people to have to go through this. And what I know is if their faith is not grounded and founded in the right thing, it's going to be easy for them to give up and walk away. And that's what was facing first century Christians after Jesus was killed. You see, after the religious leaders convinced Pontius Pilate to put Jesus on the cross, it became an open season on Christians. See, the, if you read your New Testament, you're going to see the religious leaders no longer went to Pilate when it came to killing Christians. They just took it upon themselves. They found somebody who believed in Christ. They would, they would put him to death. First victim was a guy by the name of Stephen. Stephen was a faithful man. He was a man who, who, who took care of the poor. He, he fed the widows, but he was an outspoken follower of Jesus. And because of that, the religious leaders had him arrested and they put him on trial for blasphemy because they believed anybody who thought that Jesus was the son of God who died and rose again was living a life and believing a life that was offensive to God and he deserved to die. So they put him on trial. And in that trial, what Stephen does is he, he lets them know. He lets them know how wrong they are. He says, guys, you've missed it. The Messiah was right here with you. You missed it. You missed that Jesus was the son of God and you killed him. Well, they were so offended by what he was saying to them that they took him out right there and they took him outside the gates of Jerusalem and they stoned him to death. And when Pontius Pilate didn't do anything about them stoning him to death, they said, we can do whatever we want now. Because remember, Jews weren't allowed to kill other Jews. That the Jews were under Roman law. They were under Roman authority. And that's why they had to take Jesus to Pontius Pilate to begin with because they couldn't kill their own. Only the Romans could. But when they killed Stephen and Pontius Pilate did absolutely nothing about it, they thought, oh, we can do whatever we want. So what they start doing is they go all around Jerusalem. They go from home to home. They're knocking on doors. They're breaking down doors. And they're pulling out Jesus followers. And they're putting them on trial. I mean, it was so bad. This is what it says in Acts 8.1. It says, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. On that day, the day that Stephen was stoned, he said, all except the apostles, and these are the ones that the original followers of Christ were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. They were running for their life. They were running for their life because it was no longer legal to follow Christ. And so here you have all of these Christ followers, all of these Christians that are spread out all over the place, and they're wondering, is this worth it? Is this worth it? Is it worth it to follow Jesus knowing what's going to happen to us because we follow Jesus? And is it working? I mean, are we making a difference? I know Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, he said that we're supposed to go make disciples of all nations. He said that we're supposed to be the light of the world, that we're supposed to go and share our faith. But is it working? Because it doesn't seem like it's working. It just seems like we're being punished for, for our faith. So what happens is the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is a letter that was written to these Christians. These Christians that were wondering if it's working and is it worth it. And in this letter, the author writes about faith. And he writes the fact that you not only can have faith, 
You need to have faith. And he shows them how to have a better faith. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to look. And this is what it says. It says, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. See, right off the bat, the author tells us what the biblical definition of faith is. In fact, actually the definition of faith. Whether you're a Christ follower or not, that's what faith is. We've all experienced this. And faith is just simply believing that somebody's going to do what they said. It's believing that somebody's going to keep their promise. And the easiest way for me to describe this to, to everyone is if you have a job or if you've ever had a job, there was probably a time that you sat down with somebody and you talked about what you needed to do and when you did this and completed this and you worked the hours that they said, this is what they'd pay you. That's basically what it is. And so what did you do? You got up every single day and you did what they told them to do and you worked the hours that they said, knowing that the end of two weeks or whenever it is, you would get a paycheck. That's faith. Your faith is, I'm going to do this and I'm faithful that you're going to do what you said you were going to do. That's basically what faith is. And he's, and he's telling that. And he says this, this kind of faith is what the ancients were commended for. And the ancients, what he's talking about He's talking about all those people that you read about in your Old Testament. All of those great men and women of God. They lived their life believing that God was going to keep his promise. They held on to their faith knowing that God was going to keep his promise. That's why the Hebrews 11 is a lot, a lot of times called the, the Faith Hall of Fame because it starts listing all these great men and women of faith. It talks about Abel who gave God a, a better sacrifice. It talks about Enoch who walked with God. He walked with God and he never died. God just took him home. It talks about Noah who believed in God and he built this ark so he could save his family. It talks about Moses who went into Egypt and faced Pharaoh and he got all of the Israelites out of slavery, out of bondage and took them through the Red Sea. It talks about Rahab who, who uh, helped the spies so they could defeat Jericho. All of these great people lived their life with faith. All these people believed God was going to keep their promise. That's why they had faith. And after it lists them out, it says this. It says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They worked their whole life and never got a paycheck. They never saw that promise. It says they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And what this is referring to is the fact that God went to Abraham and he said, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And that through you, I'm going to bless the entire world. And so Abraham lived his entire life believing that God was going to keep his promise. And he never saw it. And his son Isaac lived his entire life believing that God was going to keep his promise. And he never saw it. And his son Jacob never saw it. Moses never saw it. Generation after generation after generation kept living by faith, doing what God wanted them to do because they knew God was going to keep his promise but they didn't see it. And when I read this, I get so convicted. I don't know about you, but I think about how many times in my life that I'm encountering something, that I'm facing something, and I pray to God on Monday about removing this or changing this situation, and if God hasn't fixed it by Thursday, I'm giving up on God, and I'm taking matters in my own hands. If God's not doing what I want when I want, now I don't know if I can trust God anymore. And these, these people in the Old Testament got to be looking at me going, are you kidding me? We lived our whole life with faith. We were waiting on God and God's timing, and you're giving up God after a few days? 
Say, no, trust him. Put your faith in him. We did. Don't give up. And then the author kind of digs it in a little bit even harder on us. It says, some of these people faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. He's saying, I know you've got it bad. But all of these people that held on to their faith, they were facing things just as bad, if not worse, than anything you're going through. And they held on to their faith. They said they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. Everything was taken away from these people. And then he says one of the most powerful lines that I think that is in the Bible. One of the most powerful lines. It says, the world was not worthy of them. And what it was saying is the fact that the way that the world was treating them, the world didn't deserve to see such great people of faith. And I'm thinking, man, I wish that's going to be said about me. Don't you wish that at the end of your life that somebody's going to say, man, the world was not worthy because of all of the things that the world was throwing at him, he held on to the faith, that he was an example of faith, that he pressed on with faith. That's what he was saying. The world was not worthy of these people because they never received the promise, but they kept holding on to the faith. And he says, they were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what was promised. And then he tells us why. And it wasn't because of the fact that God didn't care about what they were going through. It wasn't for the fact that God didn't see what they were going through. He said, the reason why they did not receive the promise is because God had planned something better for us. God had planned something better. God was working out the perfect time to send his one and only son to die on the cross for you and me and for all of these great people of faith. He was working out the perfect time. And it says that only together with us would that be made perfect. He finished on the cross the ability for us to have an eternal relationship with him. That was his something better. And here we are 2,000 years later and we're celebrating God's something better. And this is really what the author was saying to those Christians that were scattered all over of Judea and Samaria and what he's saying to you and I. He's saying that all of these great people of faith lived their whole life believing that God was going to keep his promise. They were looking forward to Jesus. He's saying all of you, all of us, we're on the other side of the cross. We're looking back. God's already kept his promise. God has given us his son. Jesus has already died on the cross. And the God who loved you so much to give his son for you, do you not think he's going to see you through everything you're facing today? That's why you can hold on to your faith. And then he says this in, in Hebrews 12. He says, therefore, remember, every time you read the word therefore, you have to ask yourself, what is it there for? And it's there for the fact that God's kept his promise. God's paid the price. since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, since we have such these incredible examples of people who held on to faith when they hadn't received the promise, it should be easy for us to hold on to our faith. He says, so let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Right there, the author says, this is how you have better faith. This is how you have the kind of faith that gets you through no matter what this world throws at you. You do these three things. 
and you will have faith that endures. Faith that does not give up. A faith that does not walk away. These three things are, the first one is, he says, we need to release all those things that hinder us. We need to release all those things that hinder us and the sin that so easily entangles. And when you look up the word uh, hinder in the Greek, it talks about a weight or a burden. And it's talking about our lives are like somebody who's running a race, that we're running a race with our life. And when you think of somebody running, you don't think about somebody carrying anything, right? Unless they've stolen something, right? I mean, otherwise, they're not doing this. You're not thinking about this. When you watch the Olympics and you see the fastest man in the world, Usain Bolt running, is he running with a couple of dumbbells in his hand? He's saying, no, that's what it is. Don't try to run. Don't try to do what God wants you to do, carrying a weight that you're not supposed to carry, because guess what? You're going to give up. That eventually you're going to tire out and you're going to walk away. So if you want to have that better, that better faith, you've got to let go of those things. You've got to release those things that are hindering you. And those hindrances could be a what? It could be a who? Or it could be you. When I think about the things that, the, of, of, of a what, things that are in our life, those things that are in our life that cause us to, to, to stop having the faith that God wants us to have, to stop following and doing what God wants us to have, I think of a couple things. And the first thing is an out-of-control schedule. Out of control schedule. Ephesians 5 says this. It says, redeem the time because the days are evil. Redeem the time because the days are evil. Do you know that Satan will put busyness in your life to get you away from God? And unfortunately, so many times, we're willing participants in that. Let me, let me tell you what I'm talking about. How many times have you said, you know, I really, I'd love to go to church, but I just don't have time. Well, I'd, love to, I'd love to serve. I'd love to, I'd love really do. I mean, people are doing great things. I'd love to serve, but... I just don't have the time. I'd love to be a part of a, a small group. I know, I know I need a small group. I need to do that. But, you know, I, I just really don't have the time. You're carrying your schedule. And pretty soon, you're going to go, man, I'd love to have faith. I'd love to, to, to follow God. But I just don't have time. Redeem the time. What that means is the fact that understand that that everything you do is important. And the fact that you should be redeeming that time to live a life that's, that's glorifying to God. That you need to think about what you do. And that's why when your calendar, you've got to put God first. Here's the thing you have to understand. If God is not on the throne of your life, if you put your calendar on the throne of your life, or if you put yourself on the throne of your life, or anything else other than God, then what happens? God's just or orbiting around you and you'll learn to forget about him. You gotta put God at the center. He needs to be first in your calendar. You gotta let go of anything else that gets in the way of you and your relationship with God. That's redeeming the time. The second thing is kind of close to that when I think about the what's that stop people from having faith. And that's, that's misplaced affection. Misplaced affection, 1 John 2, it says this. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. You know, one of the great things that Satan does to get us away from God is he gives us good things so that we don't do God things. I mean, one of the things that we try to do in life, we try to get ahead in life, right? We're trying to get ahead. We'd love to get extra and, and have more. And what happens when we get more? Guess what? We can now, we can now um, pay for our, our hobbies and, and pay for our, our recreation. And because we have this extra, all of a sudden we find out, man, this is a good thing. It's a nice to rest and, and have all these good things. But now I'm not really a part of church anymore. 
I'm more a part of, of, of all my hobbies. And we do that with our kids. We do that with our kids. We think, man, I want them to get ahead. So we get them in every sport we can. We put them in all these ECAs, we, all these things going on. I grew up in a, in a time when, when nothing interfered with church. All of these sports, all of these ECAs, you didn't do them on Sundays, you didn't do them on Wednesdays. Because that was supposed to be church time. Now all these things are on every single day. They take you away from church. And parents, you need to manage your kids' schedules. You need to make sure that what happens is they don't put more into sports than they put into God. Because there are going to be times in their life they're going to need God, and that coach ain't going to help them. And that's what he's saying. You got to let go of those things. If you don't make God a priority, then you're going to find yourself one day wondering where your faith is. You got to let go of those what's. Some of you got to let go of the who. The who. I love what this says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. It says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. It doesn't say good morals overcomes bad company. It says, don't be deceived. And if you've got people, if the people that are closest to you are doing a better job of taking you away from God than you are bringing them to God, you need to let them go. That's what it's saying. Now, I'm not saying that, that, that you only need to have Christian friends, but let me tell you, your closest circle need to be Christian friends because you need to surround yourself with people that are going to encourage you through what you're going on, and they're going to keep pointing you towards God and keep helping you have that faith. Now, we need to have friends that, that, that aren't Christ followers because we're here to be a light to the world. We're here to show people Christ, but that's more of an evangelistic friendship. But if you're having close and they're bringing you further away than you are bringing them to, to letting you come to Christ, you got to let those people go. And again, parents, you need to think about this. We always did this growing up. Anytime my kids came home and they were acting differently, and I'm going, I don't know where you got that, but you didn't get it in this house. It was time to let go of some friends. And that's your responsibility, parents. You need to lead your kids to Christ. Don't let somebody else lead your kid away. Get rid of those who's. Pastor used to always do this as an example. Back there, they would have a stool and they'd have somebody stand on the stool and they'd say, okay, now you're standing on this stool there. Now try to pull somebody up. And what would always happen when you were trying to pull somebody up to get to where you are, they'd always pull you off. And that's what that is talking about. It's the fact that if you're going to run the race, you've got to make sure that you're running with people who are going in the same direction you are. And if they're not, you've got to let it go. It could be a you. You could be the hindrance that you got to let go of because some of you here, you're holding on to guilt when God's already forgiven you. You're not doing what God wants to do because you're just holding tight to that guilt and God says, I've already forgiven you. It's time to move on. Some of you are holding on to bitterness. You're holding on to bitterness because you won't forgive somebody for what they've done for you. And because of that, you're not doing anything. Some of you are holding on to your past. Because you don't like what happened back there. You don't like what you did. And you don't think you can go forward. And God says, come on. Come on. I've got something better for you. Trust me. But you're held to that. Y'all have got to get rid of that. You've got to let, release that. 
You holding on to those things is all wrapped around spiritual pride. It was interesting when you look at the Greek for the word hinder and you add another Greek word just in front of it, it's pride. And it's saying you need to release that pride. You need to humble yourself before the Lord. 1 Peter 5, 7, I mean, 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7, it says this. It says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. See, it all starts with you letting go of your pride, humbling yourself before God. And what happens, God takes you to where you've wanted to be. And he says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. He's saying, let go of the things that are stopping you from trusting and, and running the race that God has for you. Give them to him so that he can let you go. He can take you to where he wants to take you. You got to trust him. Let go of those things. And he says, also release the sin that so easily entangles. I mean, when we talk about sin, we have to talk about this. Sinning is fun, okay? Let's, let's, you know, we can all smile at that. Sinning is fun. I've told you this before. If you're sinning and you're not having a good time, you pick the wrong one, okay? Okay, sinning is fun. But the problem with sin is it separates you from God. Now, notice what I'm saying here. It separates you from God. It doesn't separate God from you because remember, nothing can separate us from the love of God. But what happens when we sin, we turn away from God. We're going in a different direction to God. What happened to Adam and Eve when sin entered in the world? What they do? They go hit. They went and hid. And that's what we do when we, when we sin is we start hiding from God. And what happens when we face difficult situations, we don't have God to see to help us through those things. And so that's why he's saying get rid of that sin because you've turned away from God. And there's nothing to help you with the direction that you're living in. So get rid of that. First Corinthians 10, 13, it says that Satan knows what to put in front of you to get your attention. But God gives you a way out. God will either give you the strength to ignore what's going on or he'll give you a way out so you don't have to take it. Because God says, I have something better for you. And that's why the author is saying, when you're struggling with your faith, when you're struggling with what's going on, you got to release those hindrances. You got to release that sin and you got to turn back to God because God is the only one who's going to get you through everything that you have to face. And that's why it says the second thing is you need to recognize the race that's marked out for you. You need to recognize the race that's marked out for you. We all are running a race. Every day is a race. Every day you are going somewhere. You are going somewhere with your life. I love what Bill says. Bill says it this way. He says, in life, you're either running with the devil or you're running into the devil. You're running with the devil, you're running uh, into the devil. So if you're running this race and you're not running into the devil, it's a good uh, chance that you're running with him. And so you have to recognize what race you're running. That's the principle of the path. Every decision you make determines the direction that you take, which determines your destination. Your choices determine what path you're going to take. And if your choices are not grounded in the, the word of God, you're running the wrong race. You're going to find yourself someplace that you never intended to be. Jesus was talking about that at the end of the Sermon on the Mount when he did the parable in Matthew 7 when he was talking about the, the wise and foolish builder. He wasn't talking about a race, but he was talking about all of us build our life. All of us do something with our life. And you can either build it on the rock you can build it on the sand. And when you read that parable, what you see is they both build a house. And that's what you have to understand. You can run in the wrong direction. It's not like you're going to hit a detour that quick. You build a house. They both build a house. But when did they know they were building it on the wrong thing? 
when the storms came because then only one stood. And that's what I'm talking about. There's so many people who have conditional faith because of what happens. You've been building your life on the wrong thing and then the storms come and all of a sudden you're going, I don't know if I can trust God anymore. But what you have to realize, I didn't trust him when I started running the race to begin with because I was running the wrong race. I was doing what I wanted. Here's the easiest way to know that if you're making the right decision, you're running the right race. James, the brother of Jesus, says this in James 1. He says, count it all joy when I face trials. When you face difficulty, if you're facing difficulty right now, are you counting it as joy? Are you? Are you like the disciples on the, on the boat that are panicked? Are you counting it as joy? Are you like the disciples on the boat going, don't you care? God, don't you care? Because what Jesus would say to you and what he said to them is, where's your faith? You put it in the wrong thing. You're running the wrong race. I can count it as joy, even though I might not like what I'm going through, even though I might not understand what I'm going through, but I can trust God. I can trust that he is doing what he has in his plan for me. He's working in me and through me with what I'm going through. And when you're running that race, when you're listening and doing what he wants you to do, you're going to feel the same way. You can count it as joy when you face these trials because you're running the race that God has put in front of you. And the third thing is you need to rely on Jesus. You need to rely on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of your faith. My favorite billism. This is my favorite billism, and we got a lot of them. I think we, we've done a thing with, uh, and we'll be putting this out there on social media when we do this, but we do all of, Bill, all of Bill's billisms. Um, but this is my favorite one. He says, there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is you have all of Jesus you want. The bad news is you have all of Jesus you want. And if you're trying to go through life not relying on Jesus, you're setting yourself up for failure. You're setting yourself up for a fall. You've got to hold on to him and take the most that you can from him and knowing that he's there for you. I, I, I get so confused with so many Christians because I think what happens, they feel like once I become a Christ follower, my whole goal is to be mature enough that I don't need God anymore. I've got this down that I don't need him anymore. But it's the exact opposite. That the more you mature as a Christian, what you find out is, Kali, I need, I need God more than I did, than I thought I did. I know now I need Jesus more every single day than I did when I first gave my heart to Christ when I was a, a teenager. And that's what he's taken us through. Think about what Paul was saying. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 12 when he was talking about the thorn that he had in his side. And he was asking God to remove this thorn because he said, man, God, if, if you would just take this away, I could do so much more for you. I could do so much more for you. And what does God say? He says, because I want to keep you humble. I want to keep you dependent on me. I want to keep you relying on me. I'm going to let you have it because my grace is sufficient for you. Because what you're going to find is my strength is made perfect in your weakness. See, as you grow and mature and you realize that God can do so much more in you and through you than you could ever do on your own, you learn to rely more and more on him. And when you learn to rely on him more and more, that's when you have the faith that gets you through anything that you face. 
here's how you know if you're relying on God. Do you have peace right now? Think about what you have coming up this week. Think about what you're dealing with. Do you have peace of mind? Do you have peace? This is what it says in Isaiah 26. It says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. That you have perfect peace when you, your mind is on Christ. When you keep your mind on things above. What does Matthew 22 say? It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. It, Romans 12, 2, it says, do not conform to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. 1 Corinthians 2, it says, what are we supposed to have? The mind of Christ. That helps us do everything that we need to do. We, we used to do this. We had those bands that we used to always wear, the, the WWJDs, what would Jesus do? That's the mind of Christ. I'm going to make sure that every decision, everything that I do is all about what Jesus would do because I rely on him because I know he's not going to steer me wrong. I know I've taken me down a lot of wrong roads. And what is Colossians 3, 2? It says, set your mind on things above. It's all about your mind. And you have peace when you trust him when you're thinking of him and knowing he's gonna see you through things. Jesus said this in John 16, 33. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. He said, guess what, guys? Don't be surprised when you have difficulty in your life. You might not like it, but we shouldn't be surprised with what's going on in the world today. We shouldn't be surprised at what's going on in our life. But then he said this. He said, take heart. I have overcome the world. He's saying, you can rely on me to get you through. That's why you can have faith because I will get you through. You can rely on me to get through all these things. That's what better faith looks like. So what happened to all of these first century Christians who were scattered all out of Judea and Samaria? What happened to all of them? This is what it says in Acts 11. It says, the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. All of these people that were scattered, all of these people that were, were wondering if it's worth it and if it's working. They let go of the things that they were worried about. They let go of the hindrances. And they kept running the race that God had for them. They kept spreading the word. And they relied on him. And God's hand was with them. And lives were changed because of it. And I was thinking, wouldn't that be an incredible story for the Met through this whole COVID time? That all of this has been spread out. That you can, you can see that not everybody's back because everybody's scared. But through this time that we're all spread out, we're all kind of wondering, wouldn't that be an incredible story that through this time when we get out of it, that we see that so many people turned to the Lord and believed? I think that would be an incredible story for the Met. But what you need to understand, it's not gonna be our story unless it starts with you and it becomes your story because you are the Met. All of you here, all of you watching, you're the Met. And that when you release all those things that hinder you, when you recognize and you make sure you're running the race that God wants you to do and you rely on him every step of the way,
what you're going to find is you're going to have better faith. And that better faith is going to change your life and it's going to change the life of the people around you. And we're going to see life change. Let that be your story. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for always being there for us. You know what everybody in this room is going through. You know what everybody that's watching online is going through. You know what they're dealing with. You know their, their anxieties. You know the things that are tripping them up. And I know you're telling them right now, let it go. Release it to me. Trust me. I have something better for you. Just let that go and start running in my direction. Trust me. Rely on me because I'm faithful and I can see you through. And he is. And God, we thank you for that faithfulness. God, help us to have that confidence every day. No matter what this world throws at us, no matter what we're dealing with, help us to have the confidence in you that you will give us everything we need just when we need it so that we can get through. And because we keep our faith in you, we're going to be sharing faith with people who don't know you. And that's our prayer. That through this time that people come to know you and love you. And if you're here today and you're hearing this or you're watching and you're hearing this, we want you to love God. We want you to trust God. We want, to put, we want you to put your heart and life in his hands. And if you're ready, all you have to do is say, God, I realize now. I've been doing this on my own. I don't want to do it anymore. I want to put my life in your hands. I know you love me. I know you love me. I know you gave your son for me who died on the cross for my sins. And he rose again for me. And so I want to turn away from my sins and I want to give my heart to you. If that's you right now, if that's what you believe, welcome to the family. God's got you. And God's going to see you through everything you face. That's what his love is all about. God, thank you for all you do. Help us to leave this place and be a light. Help us to be a light through this crazy, dark time. God, we love you and praise you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.